Hey Christ Old Fest, this is Eric Sorensen uh, coming to you today to enter into Ruth chapter 4. We're in the last chapter of this very short book and we've we've sort of taken our time digging through this and um, doing everything we can to um, to draw as much out of it as, as possible for us. Um, I want to just do a little, though, I guess, introduction before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of this passage. And so... Um, I'm reminded at the beginning here of something that Church Father Augustine said that probably many of you have heard before. It's a saying that says this, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed, and in the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. Now, what he meant by that was the fact that throughout the Bible, there is a common thread that weaves it all together, and without both Testaments, the story just isn't complete. And, and of course, that thread of, is Jesus Christ. Once when, uh, and we see this all throughout Jesus' ministry, him sort of tying himself to the Old Testament. And so uh, this one time when Jesus was confronting some uh, Jewish religious leaders, he made a rather startling statement about himself. He, he said to them, you search the scriptures, meaning at that time the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Again, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he caught up with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says in Luke 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Every page of the Bible testifies about the person and work of Jesus Christ, whether it be through stories or psalms or history, prophecies, whatever it is, we're sort of instructed in the New Testament to find Christ there. He's in the beginning when sin first enters into the world and God promises in Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's there in Genesis chapter 12 when God first calls Abram promises to make him a great nation and that through him all of the families of the earth shall be blessed uh, through his offspring, which the New Testament tells us eventually is fulfilled in Christ. Again in Genesis 22, when Abraham nearly offers up his son Isaac on the altar of sacrifice, but somehow knows that God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, uh, Jesus is there as the substitute. And it keeps going all throughout the Old Testament. The Passover lamb is ultimately Jesus. Uh, I mean, it just, it doesn't stop. All throughout, Psalms, prophecies, history, were meant to see a picture of Christ. So, it is imperative for us as Bible-believing Christians, when we read the scriptures, to be on the lookout for Jesus when we are reading and yes, there are times where it may seem hard to find him, uh, where he seems a little bit more obscured or a little bit more hidden. But there are also times when you read something from the Old Testament where he jumps right out at you from the page. And I think Ruth, especially Ruth chapter 4, is one of those moments when we come to the character of Boaz, we can't help but see a picture of Jesus Christ. Where he's most specifically seen is in the picture of redemption that is painted for us. Now, just to 
review a little bit. Naomi is a heartbroken, lonely widow who had moved away from her homeland only to lose her husband and her two sons. And so she now returns home empty with uh, her daughter-in-law, who is a foreigner, unfamiliar with the things of God and with the people of God. And yet she comes back with her mother-in-law. And now they're uh, people seemingly with no hope for a future and doomed to a life of hardship. But God is not done with them. He is a God of compassion and full of grace. And so surprisingly, out of what they thought was nowhere, he raises up for them a potential redeemer for them, someone who would pay for them to be his so he could provide for them and take care of them and bring new life to them. So that's a little introduction. Now let's dig into the meat of passage Ruth 4 verses 1 through 6. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now just to bring you up to speed, the end of last chapter Naomi and Ruth are planning on Boaz being the only redeemer that can buy them back. And then Boaz remembers, no, no, no. Actually, there is another one that's closer in relation to your husband than me. And by law, we need to give him the opportunity to redeem you first. Now, of course, we know by this time that Boaz doesn't want to do this. I mean, Boaz really has a, a deep interest in Ruth. He's, he seems to be <laughs> quite enchanted by her. But he knows what the law says, and so he does what he needs to do. And this redeemer at first says, all right, sounds good. I'll redeem it. That, I mean, there must have been a, his heart must have been in his throat by this time, as, as this man just says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll take it. But then, verse 5, then Boaz says, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Ooh, now it's not just a matter of redeeming property that he might be able to sell off later, but now he's being told, oh, also, yeah, you have to take care of a wife and you have to raise up children with her. How do you feel about that? Verse 6, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, <laughs> lest I impair my own inheritance Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. End of reading. So, sure enough, this other redeemer just happens to walk by the city gate. And Boaz wastes no time getting to the point. Gathers them a people and witnesses from the town to see and hear what he's going to ask him and immediately starts in with the whole story. Now, um... It, this was not an uncommon thing. The city gate was sort of the town meeting spot. It, it was the, uh, to use the Starbucks terminology, the third space. You know, it was the place outside where people met up. 
And so Boaz knows that he has a pretty good chance of meeting this other potential redeemer there. Um, and uh, because Boaz is a man of integrity and a man who uh, knows that the law must be followed, he does his duty and comes to this man with a proposition. So, um, <clears throat> this would be quite a bummer if this story ended at verse 4. If the other redeemer was like, okay, yeah, I'll take her. <laughs> Have a good day. The story's over. The romance is over. Boaz is done. Uh, and this no-namer takes her to be his wife. But that is, of course, not the, the, the end of the story. Instead, uh, Boaz quickly tells the man, emphasizing Ruth's background, she's a Moabite, and she's a widow, and you need to have kids with her. And this man ends up saying no. So, so Boaz, where is, where is Jesus in Boaz here? How do we see a picture of Christ in some sense concealed through this person of Boaz? Well, let me, let me point out this. Um, oftentimes what we hear emphasized in our sermons about the gospel is that Jesus had to die for us. That is right, good, and proper. We should hear Jesus died for our sins. That's, I mean, I think most Christians, no matter of which stripe, uh, have said those words and formulated those words, and they believe those words. But just as important as Jesus dying for us, we also need to remember that Jesus needed to live for us. Specifically, he had to submit to the law for us. He had to obey and fulfill the law in every way in order to redeem us. Thus, he says in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son born of a born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus didn't just die for us. He didn't just rise from the dead for us. But every breath of his life was also lived for you. Even before his official ministry started, you know, that the official ministry. He was always living. Every part of his life was in substitution for you. There's not a moment of time where he doesn't actually live in substitution for you so that when the father looks at him, the father sees a worthy substitute for us on the cross. He follows the law perfectly because we have not. We cannot. We never have. This is known by theologians as his active obedience. R.C. Sproul says it this way, I think describes it well. He says, in his active obedience, Christ fulfilled the positive commandments of God on behalf of his people, serving God and doing good. This positive righteousness is granted as a gift through faith to believers, securing for them a righteous standing before God. Now you say, well, how does this relate to Boaz? Well, here's how. In Boaz submitting to the law of the land in order to secure his bride, 
It becomes a picture of Christ for us because that's exactly what Jesus has to do to secure us, his bride. He does not go around the law. He does not avoid the law. He does not see the law as a bad thing. He fulfills the law in every way so that he can have lawbreakers as his most cherished possession. That being you and I. So Jesus is the true and better Boaz, as it were. Boaz doesn't go around the law. He fulfills what the law says and ends up getting his bride, as we'll see in the coming weeks. And so, too, our Lord Jesus does the same way. There's no shortcuts. He submits in every way to the law of the Father and to the will of the Father. Why? So that he might have the joy set before him, namely you and I. So I hope that encourages you. Remember, Jesus has done it all, and you have been imputed by faith with his righteous life so that God, when he looks at you, only sees that. He sees you as a law fulfiller because you are covered in the works and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is good news for us today as we face the rest of this week. So I hope you have a good day. We'll see you next week as we continue on with the story of Ruth. God bless.